Well, I've been doing student ministry for 19 years, and one of my favorite things to see is at the front door, a parent and a student having a conversation, and you know, the boy's like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. The parent's like, get in there. They just get him in here. Then after the evening is over, the student is in here, and the parent's at the door, and, this, and the boy's like, I don't want to leave, I don't want to leave, I don't want to leave. I'm like, oh, parents, I'm pulling for you. Rockbrook has a student ministry team that trains every week to deal with students and parents. We have have one of the best student ministry teams around. And every week, we go through actual training material. Rockbrook trains the student dream team that we have here. We have an awesome dream team. We are ready for your student. I just got back with a bunch of students on a trip to Birmingham, Alabama, to a student conference there. 14,000 were down there. We took a group of 15, and it was very encouraging. And Dawson is one of our high school guys, sophomore in high school. And, oh man, he is is a high school boy. Dawson makes me laugh. And, And we all have Dawson stories. But at the conference, they were talking about the relevancy of church. And at, when, the, when we were done for that day, we headed back to the hotel, and at night, Dawson came up, and he said this, Rockbrook is different. A lot of churches have people come to church and then leave the church. At Rockbrook, people are able to be used. They can actually do stuff for God. That's a high school boy saying that. I, I just lit up. I, I've been living off that for a week now. I was just... I, that is awesome. Like, I mean, he, we have stuff, there's stuff to do. There's stuff to accomplish. And Rockbrook is full of people that are doing things. Rockbrook is full of students who are making a difference. At the conference, our students were challenged to get plugged into church, attend a weekend service, make it through the growth track process, get people around you who encourage you, challenge you. It's a small group. Make a difference in your church joining a dream team. And in 19 years of doing student ministry, I've been on a lot of these trips, and I know it is easy to be a good Christian on these trips. I mean, we're all just doing, we're all at our best. On the trip, it's easy to go God's way versus the world's way. It's just so clear. But then we get back to real life, and real life is hard. It's just, it's hard. And I chuckled about that this week because my wife this week was making the kids clean the house and do some math worksheets just so that they're not so dumb over the summer. <laughs> it was not a great day to be a nine-year-old boy. And Gunner just blurts out, I'm doing stuff I never thought I'd be doing. <laughs> Life's hard, buddy. <laughs> It's harder to do the right things. And after a a big event, the intensity can fade in real life. James is the brother of Jesus. He's Jesus' half-brother. And James writes to a church that has lost their intensity. It's a church that is going the world's way instead of going God's way. We're going to launch into this. James chapter 4. It's on your notes. If you can't read that on the screen. 
Verse 1, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war and take it away from them. I think I saw this on the news. This. <laughs> Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? That they say that, that, say that God is passionate? That the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him? And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come close to God. God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, talking about the news, I am actually kind of a news junkie. I read, I read a lot of news every day. I listen to talk radio. I like to watch news shows on cable. And there are whole news hours, whole programs, where they are asking how can we make things better? What, what's the answer to the problems that we're having? And there are media panels of people that are saying all kinds of screwball things. And I actually enjoy watching these shows because I think I have the answer. It is Jesus Christ through the church. When God's people are doing what they should be doing, when they are moving God's way, when they are connecting and serving the church makes a difference. It's the church that can help people. Jesus Christ set up the church. Jesus Christ died for the church. The only thing that will be rescued from this world is the church. It's the church that can feed people. It can help them find their purpose in life, help them find their destiny. And the church can do it without judging them. James tells the church that Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. But he quickly gives the church a warning. Verse 11. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He also has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbors? We don't criticize each other. The church is a refuge in Jesus. It's a place that brings life. It's a place of encouragement. I lead a, a teen guy's small group, and one of the lessons that we go through is by Buddy Owens. 
And I love how my guys connect and respond to Buddy Owens. And I want to show you just a little bit of a small group lesson that we go through. And I go through this lesson with every group of boys I have. And I'm always amazed at the impact it makes on my guys every time we watch it. having a conversation with a woman I worked with. She was sitting at her desk reading the paper. And she was going on and on about how horrible the world is, talking about sin and immorality and kind of wringing her hands over injustices and all this kind of stuff. And, and the longer she talked about it, I, I just thought, you know, I get the feeling that she'd be happier if the rest of the world just weren't even here, if sinners didn't even exist. So I let her talk on for a few minutes and and then I, I said to her, you know, it makes you think that God must just hate the world. She said, oh, I know he does. He hates the world. And then I just looked at her. And after a couple of seconds, the penny dropped. And then her, her face fell. God doesn't hate the world. God loves the world. He loves the world so much that he gave his son to die for it. He still loves the world. And he wants to love the world through you. Oh, isn't that refreshing? Don't you just want to watch the rest of it? Right? And for some of my guys, I mean, that's the one where he, he fills stuff with, uh, puts a whole bunch of stuff in a cup of water. It is refreshing. And in a crazy world, wringing their hands over injustices, how refreshing is the church? We're not going to criticize each other. We're going to serve each other. I mean, that encourages my guys to go God's way. It encourages my guys to bring others with them. I really like this next point. When you serve each other, it engages the law of reciprocity. The law of reciprocity. Listen to this. Basically says that when someone does something nice for you, you will have a deep-rooted psychological urge to do something nice in return. As a matter of fact, you may even reciprocate with a gesture far more generous than their original good deed. So, that means when you go to a store and there are uh, multiple sets of doors to get into a store or restaurant, you know, they got the outside doors, then they got a little entryway, keep the air conditioning in the store, then they got another set of doors. If you come up to the outside doors at the same time as someone else, or a little bit ahead of them, if you stop and hold the door open for them, what almost always happens is they will hold the next door open for you. And if there are multiple doors, social psychologists say they will try to outdo you in opening more doors than you. That's the law of reciprocity. A couple weeks ago, it's coming up to church on Sunday morning, had some kids in the car, and as we drove by the little signs out here in the grass by the road, one of the kids read it and said, visitor parking. And they asked, what's visitor parking? Is that for someone who doesn't serve on a dream team? 
My kids think that a person who doesn't serve in a ministry, well, they must just be visiting. Because we love our visitors. For those of you who serve on a dream team, for those of you who help make all this happen, my children think you are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. As a parent, that is exciting. When my children look at people who are going God's way and they look up to them, and if you're not serving, well, you must just be a visitor. That's huge for me. Thank you. When the church goes God's way, the benefits multiply. Thank you. James is urging Christians to go God's way versus the world's way. A couple of weeks ago, I was mowing. Oh, I was going to go mow out my parents' house, and I was getting ready at, at home and went outside. I was going to go around back and get the weed eater out of the shed. And as I walked through the front yard, just inside the neighbor's yard, I, there was a tiny little bunny, just a little furball there. And I walked right by it, just, and it didn't move. And I went and got the weed eater and thought, well, that's kind of weird. So I came back, and he's just there. And so I take my shoe and just kind of flip it a little bit. And he falls over onto his side, and he kicks a little bit and then hops back up into a little ball. And, and he's breathing, and I can see on his back he's got a couple bald spots, and I can tell the mower blades hit him when the neighbor was mowing the yard. And I thought, oh, man, do I need to take care of this? Do I just need to end this? And I'm looking at and he's not bleeding, but he's not moving like a rabbit should. And he's just, you know, a little face going up and down. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go mow. And when I get back this afternoon, if, if the bunny's still there, I'll take care of it. So I came back in the afternoon and put the weed eater up. And as I walked by, there was that bunny. And he was laying on his side. And he was gone. Flies had already started buzzing around. And... Tears just kind of welled up in my eyes as I saw that cute little fuzzy thing. And I just whispered out loud, Ah, death. So I got out our mower and mowed and was thinking about death and loss and really wasn't sure why that little bunny bothered me so much. And I mowed the backyard and then I mowed over on the other side of the house and I was, as I was mowing, a little tiny bunny ran out of the way of my mower. And he ran into the neighbor's backyard where their dog had been watching me mow. Well, that dog took off, and that bunny took off, and they were just run, zigging and zagging. And that bunny would run and turn and run and turn, and the dog right behind him. dog's just chasing and chasing. And I'm watching this, and the dog is just he's nipping at the bunny, and that bunny jumps in the air, and the dog jumps in the air, and they're just running just patterns all the way across the yard, and they're spinning. And I start chuckling watching this thing. I'm just laughing. They work their way across the yard, then the dog snatches that little bunny and crunch. Dog came skipping up to me, grinning, I think, fire in his eyes, and 
I just laughed out loud. And I said, ah, death. (laughs) And I realized it wasn't death that made me sad. You can't escape death. I mean, it's coming. I didn't like how the first bunny died hunkered down, sitting, not doing anything. The second bunny, death came, but he was moving. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. And in the end, he looked delicious. (laughs) James gives us a warning about self-confidence. Verse 13, look here, you who say on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, Today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? I want you to circle that phrase. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. I do not like this. I get this to preach on. I'm reading through this. I don't like it. But we're getting some perspective here. You're not going to be around very long. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. You need to learn how to answer the question, am I going God's way or the world's way? For every decision. And this is why I talk to students about all the time. Going God's way versus the world's way. So it's not a question of, will this make me more money? You know, some people have the spiritual gift of making money, and they love to finance the kingdom of God. But not every financial decision is, will this make me more money? But it's a question of, am I going God's way or the world's way? What about relocating? You know, it's not just a question of, will this make me happier? Because most of the time it won't. Oftentimes we relocate to get a new start. You know, I'm going to get a new start. leaving my parents' house. I'm going to get a new start. Problem is, no matter where you go, there you are. And that's a problem. On a relocation question, you need to ask, am I going God's way or the world's way? And I've got a list of these that I go through with them. You know, purchases, hobbies, music I listen to, movies I watch. Uh, One more. What about fashion decisions? Will this make me look sexy? Does God want me to look sexy? I don't know. I mean, there's a time and place for that. If you want to hear more about that, come to a student service. (laughs) The question is, when you get something to wear, am I going God's way or the world's way? James 4, verse 16. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. But life is hard. I'm doing stuff I never thought I'd be doing. When I was watching that little bunny running, I couldn't help but think he was making all the right decisions. Uh, He made all the right decisions. He made all the right moves. But the dog got him. Does it ever feel like with your actions or your motivations, you are being unfairly challenged by somebody? 
Or maybe you're under attack for doing the right thing. Maybe you're under attack because you refuse to do the wrong thing. Or you feel you are about to be swept away by something, by forces, by people, by some circumstance that's just too much for you to withstand. Does any of that sound familiar? Where you are outnumbered, you are outgunned, you're outthought, you're outclassed, you're outmaneuvered, and you find you are overcome by overwhelming odds. And you are thinking, God, I don't get this. I've been living right. Why is this happening to me? I have been doing things that you want me to be doing. Why is this happening to me? Don't you care, God? I don't know how much longer I can hold out. I have been good, and you don't seem to be paying attention. I have been living up to my end of the bargain. God, why aren't you living up to your end of the bargain? Don't you owe me something for my good behavior? And you may ask the same question I ask. God, I've been behaving. Don't you owe me something for this? And there are answers. God loves you. He is faithful. He cares more about your life than you do. But God doesn't owe you anything. So why does he let this stuff happen? Why does he let these things happen? Sometimes he lets things happen because he wants us to learn something about himself. Sometimes he lets these things happen because he wants us to learn something about ourselves. Sometimes he lets them happen because he wants to show the world something about who he is. And he wants to show the world through you, through your experience. My wife and I have six children, and we should have seven. We lost one to a miscarriage. And that hurt and, and I don't know if I will ever count my children without thinking I am missing a number. And it's kind of like having a scratch on your glasses where you kind of get used to it, but no matter how beautiful what you're looking at is, there's always a scratch in the image. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? For my wife's birthday, this year we made her a video, and the kids and I put together a video for her just to thank her, let her know how special she is. It's called The Average Mother. I'm average, a mom lives. Spend half of her life on average, she will have experience 23 hours. 23 hours of label paint. Paint over 10,000 Wiped over 1,000 Spoken over 80,000 Child child over 40, times. On average, you will have bandage over 300 boo-boos. boo-boos. <laughs> Picked up over 28,000 toys. 28, toys. Read over 13,000 books to her children. 
given over 14,000 heads. To her medal, full love is wrapped. In the time she gives to both children, shall win. When you're a parent, all your energy is expended in just taking care of, worrying for, providing for your children. You really have very little left to enjoy them. And I see my parents, and I see my wife's parents, and they let us do the worrying and energizing, and they enjoy the grandchildren. Oh, man, do they enjoy them. Parents and grandparents have different responsibilities. Parents have the responsibility to love, direct, discipline, correct their kids. Grandparents have the responsibility of providing a fun environment and candy. In life, God is like the parent. He has the responsibility to love, and he does it better than anybody. He has the responsibility to correct, guide, discipline. The church is like grandparents. Our responsibility is to love everybody. What a great job we have as a church. We have the responsibility to love everybody. And if I love somebody and they don't, if that person refuses to love me, I hurt because I've lost something. When God says he loves you and you refuse to love him, God hurts too. God hurts, but not because he's lost something, but because you have lost something. When, when you look at a young life, when you hold them in their arms, and you ask, what do I want for this child? Do you want them out of vanity? Or do you want them out of love? And the best idea of what life's purpose is. Sometimes through suffering, sometimes through pain, sometimes through sacrifice. My prayer for our children is that they will grow up to fulfill the purpose that God has for them. And they will do it with honor and dignity. God loves you for your sake. He wants what's best for you. No matter what direction you go, it doesn't make God any less of a God. But what direction you take can make you less than what it means to be human. I want you to write that down even as I start praying for us. God, the people that you love, we are taking steps towards you. God, I pray that your kingdom will come, that your will will be done in this house. With our eyes closed, I think some of us need to understand that the first step going God's way is to receive his love. I think there are a lot of times we feel that God wants other things, but to begin going God's way, we have to receive him. Maybe some of you have felt like he doesn't love you. Maybe some of us are in the place where we used to go God's way in the past, but we know that we're not headed in the right direction. Relationally, we're disconnected. 
I want to give you a chance to change that direction. God wants you to receive his love. If you are disconnected, you want to reconnect with him and go God's way, I'm just going to pray a prayer for you. Just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray for you. Heavenly Father, I submit to your way today. I'm tired of living my life the world's way. I invite you to change my direction. I turn from my sin. I turn from the world's way. I turn to you. I receive your love. I receive your purpose. I'm going to live for you. God, some have refreshed that commitment. Some have prayed it for the first time. Thank you that your love for us, and even based on what direction we're headed, that you love us no matter what, but you do want the best for us. We pray in your precious name. Amen.